So this week we are continuing our journey through the book of Matthew. And today we're going to finish up chapter one. If you recall last week, we started out by talking about Jesus's family tree and all the kind of fun drama, fun, I don't know, but all, all the interesting drama that was involved in that tree. And so now we're going to look at how that drama really followed on up straight through to Jesus's parents, Mary and Joseph. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Matthew 1, and I'm going to start reading in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had it in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she had given birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Okay, so look, I know it. we just had Christmas, so having a sermon around the Nativity story might seem weird, but I'm hoping we can highlight maybe some things we don't normally talk about around Christmas. So stick with me. I, I think something cool is going to come out of this. So basically, this version of the story is the telling of the Nativity story from Joseph's perspective. So here we're getting kind of Joseph's side of what happened. And we see that it opens with him not being super happy about everything. And we don't exactly know how this scene played out, how Joseph found out Mary was pregnant. All it says is before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Did Mary go and tell him right away? Did Joseph notice a little baby bump starting and that's how he found out? You know, did Maury Povich magically show up with a blue envelope, you know, trying to deduce and diffuse the situation? <laughs> we just don't know. All we know is that in the end, Joseph doesn't believe whatever Mary told him. And he's mad at her. I think sometimes Joseph gets a little unfairly slammed for this, for not believing Mary, because we have the benefit of obviously knowing the whole story. We have the benefit of knowing this is a story in our Bibles, and we're conditioned to expect the unexpected, to expect miracles to happen on every other page, right? Joseph did, didn't have this. As far as Joseph is concerned, it looks like his wife has betrayed him and is now lying straight to his face about it. Maybe think about it this way. Picture your favorite shirt. No, I'm not equating Mary to a favorite shirt, but stick with me. You'll, you'll get what I'm trying to do. 
You know, maybe it is a sports jersey that you wear whenever you need to give your team that little extra boost, right? Maybe it's a lucky shirt that you wear when you need to get an A on a test or you really need to do well in something. I totally have one of those. Maybe it is just the softest, most comfortable sweater you've ever worn. All right, if you have it, yeah, picture that sweater, that shirt, that jersey, whatever it is. Now imagine you lose it. You can't find it anywhere. You hunt through your house, you look in the car, you look absolutely everywhere. It's gone. Completely gone. Now, imagine you call your best friend to complain about it, because this was your favorite shirt. You, you're you really sad. You you complain, you tell your friend about it, and they, they do what best friends do. They listen, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, that, that's horrible, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They, it's a good conversation. You're, you're feeling a little better about it now. Now, imagine next time you see that friend, they're wearing that shirt. At first you think, well, that obviously can't be my shirt, but I'm just, it's still in my head, so I'm just projecting it onto them. But then you notice maybe that little hole from the time you snagged it on a loose nail. Or you see that little stain from the time you dropped the soy sauce. It becomes clear this is 100% your shirt. So obviously you're kind of angry. This is kind of a weird joke, right? So you, you ask them what's going on and they say it's not your shirt. It's, it, it's a different shirt. Now, you 100% know that is your shirt. Without a doubt, that is your shirt. So you ask them, all right, fine. If it's not my shirt, where did you get it? And then here's where the kicker comes in. They say, God made it for me. I just woke up and it was laying in my dresser and I put it on and it was perfect. So from your perspective, not only have they betrayed your trust by stealing your best favorite shirt, they're also lying to your face about it. And not even being very creative or believable with their lie. I kind of think this is where Joseph is in verse 18 here. This is what he's feeling. He thinks Mary has betrayed him, and rather than take full responsibility for it, she's just gone full shaggy. It wasn't me. So I, I don't think we can blame Joseph for being super upset here. And then we get to verse 19, and this is where I'm going to focus for a while here. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had a mind to divorce her quietly. We have a little unpacking to do here. First off, we need a quick refresher in the law code. To Joseph, this looks like a clear case of infidelity. It looks like Mary has cheated on him. And the law is very clear that Joseph can, and, and seemingly according to the law, should divorce Mary. There'd be some weird cultural things if Joseph stayed with Mary. Now, the Old Testament law says that someone who commits adultery should be stoned. But by the time of Mary and Joseph, Rome is in charge, and that probably wouldn't have been on the table. But what would have been the expected reaction to this is for Joseph to publicly shame Mary. So the norm would have been for Joseph to go to a public place, whether it was the temple courtyards or the equivalent of a town square 
sometimes called the uh, Agora. And Joseph would go there, take Mary there, and publicly call her out for cheating and divorce her in front of everyone. Now, aside from being a really big, embarrassing spectacle, this would have really made Mary a marked woman. If this had happened, no respectable person would want to marry Mary. No family would want to take Mary in. Mary would have been left to fend for herself. And fend for herself in a world that was completely set up to do anything but help women fend for themselves. Basically, Mary would have been destined for a life of poverty, homelessness, prostitution, and an early death. But that's not what Joseph wants to do. Joseph decides to divorce Mary quietly, seemingly hoping that if he goes about it this way, they can both go their separate ways and salvage some form of, of, of a life for each other, you know, separately. This is an interesting plan. It is a very unconventional plan. It's really a plan that comes with some grace in it. This situation really gives the appearance, this, this entire situation gives the, the appearance that Joseph has every legal and, according to the standards of the day, a moral right to destroy Mary's life. But he doesn't plan to do that. He plans to show mercy. And this really hits on the difference between righteousness and mercy. Because seemingly, the right the righteous, the just thing to do would have been to publicly shame Mary, thereby damning her to an awful, miserable life. Now, there's a whole discussion about whether that should have been the right and the just thing to do. That, that is a completely different discussion and one we could spend a lot of time on. But within the framework of the time, that was the right and just thing to do. But the merciful thing to do would have been to divorce Mary quietly, and to move on. Now, there's another side to it we could talk about, about staying married, but that, that involved a whole other legal issue that we do not have time for right now, but that really isn't an option for Joseph at this time. Now, think about what would have to go into Joseph's thought process to make the choice to quietly leave Mary. Think about someone who has just deeply, deeply hurt you. Think about someone who has cut you so badly that you weren't sure you could recover from it. Now, imagine you have the opportunity to really stick it to that person, to call them out, and to not only call them out, but to do it in such a way that you're celebrated as the hero. Could you let that opportunity go? Could you show mercy? Now, things get a little more complicated even in starting in verse 20. Here, the angel comes and tells Joseph that, hey, in fact, Mary was telling the truth. This child is of the Holy Spirit. 
Now just think about what kind of a shock that would have been to Joseph. But now think about what would have happened if Joseph had done the legal just thing and publicly shamed Mary. Oh no. That, that's not something you can really take back. You couldn't have done this big public display and the next day be, oh, sorry, no, no, I was wrong, I was wrong. That the damage would have been done. You're, it can't be undone. There was, there'd be no taking it back. Now, how would you react? How would our reaction be in a situation like this? How does our reaction change when we understand a little more of the story? When we get a fuller picture of what's going on? How many problems that come up really stem from us not understanding the other side, not fully understanding the other person's perspective or not understanding what's going on over on that side? Now, Joseph had the advantage of an angel coming in and telling him the story. We probably aren't going to have that happen to us. As a result, we might all too often rush into situations with only partial truths, with only half the information. And I think sometimes this causes us to react or to form opinions that might not be fully accurate. If we're gonna, let's, let's look at an example. Let's look at a literary example. One of my favorite characters from literature is Severus Snape the potions master from Hogwarts. Now, think about how you felt about him going into the last book or the last movie. What did you think of him? I guess spoilers for Harry Potter, but it's been like 15 years, so it, at this point, if you're worried about spoilers, that's, that's kind of on you. I'm not going to feel sorry about spoiling anything for you. So going into the last book, the seventh book, we had just seen Snape seemingly murder Dumbledore. We had just seen him come out as a villain, as a Death Eater. So we kind of hated him, right? Going into that last book, he, he might have been a bigger villain than Voldemort. How many of us felt a little twinge of happiness when in book seven he dies? How many of us felt like, good, you, you got what you deserved? But what happened right after he died? We, as the reader, are treated to a montage of his life. And our perception of him instantly changes. We see how he's been the good guy the entire time. We see how he's been working with Dumbledore, the good wizard to try to fix and solve everything. In that one instant, he goes from supreme villain to, I would argue, the hero of the entire story. Just because we learned more about the situation. And now how do we feel about his death? Now his death becomes the supreme moment of sadness and heartbreak. And that's just one quick literary example of how our perception, our feelings of someone can change 
when we know more about it. Think about everything that has happened even over the past year. How different might things have looked if we'd actually been listening to each other? If we'd taken the time to learn? Now, I am not saying that simply listening will solve everything, will solve all of our problems. That is far too simplistic and really glossing over a lot. There are some really deep-seated, rooted problems and issues going on in our country right now that really need to be addressed. The, those roots have gone too deep. But how much further down the path to solving these might we be if we all had an attitude of listening, if we were willing to listen? And not just to listen, but yeah, here's my side too. Genuine listening. How much further down this path would we be if we genuinely cared and wanted to know the experiences, the stories, the views, the understandings of other people, of people different from us? How many of us would maybe want to take back words, deeds, actions, thoughts? Because maybe we would be thinking differently. I think Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. summed this entire idea up very well. While speaking at Cornell College in 1962, he said, people fail to get along because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. They don't know each other because they have not communicated with each other. So much of what we think we know about people is driven by what we don't know about them, as evidenced by Joseph's nighttime visit from an angel. Joseph goes into that night thinking Mary has abandoned him, has betrayed him, and has lied to him. He comes out of it knowing that God hand chose Mary to be the mother of the Son of God. That's a big shift. That's a big change. Just because he got the full story. Now, Joseph's instinct was to show mercy. Even before he got the full story from the angel, his natural inkling was to show mercy. And then after he gets the full story, that inkling toward mercy becomes all the more important. And so too should it be with us. Our natural leaning should be toward mercy. Our, na our natural bent should be toward showing compassion. Our first thought in a situation shouldn't be, how much blood, how much can I legally get out of this situation? How much can I benefit out of this situation? Because who knows? Maybe we, like Joseph, are one night's sleep away from a fundamental and monumental shift in how we understand a person, a situation, a group, an entity, whatever it is. So I would challenge all of us this morning to keep mercy first. 
keep grace foremost in our thoughts. Because it's really only through grace and through the mercy of Christ that we, ourselves, will one day stand in glory. Join me as we pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of mercy. You are a God of grace. You are a God who constantly reaches out to us, who doesn't condemn us for our worst moments, who gives us a way out. And Lord, we just ask that we could reflect that same heart, that we could reflect that same grace, that same compassion, that same love with our fellows, with those we get along with, and especially with those we don't get along with, with those that we agree with, and with those we don't agree with. So Lord, I just ask that as we move forward today, as we move from this place, that we would do it with compassion, that we would do it with love, and that we could keep your grace in our hearts and let it spill out and let it be the driving force behind our interactions, our words and our deeds. In your precious name we pray, amen.